welcome back to State of Mind with me, Grace Kingswell. Today, I'm welcoming my friend and colleague, Matt Jarrassy, back to the podcast to talk about iron. You may have heard Matt on the episode about histamine. Matt is a nutritional therapist and so good at taking all of the science and making it really understandable. I love this episode because I also learned so much from Matt. I really hope you're prepared to have what you thought you knew about iron challenged and are ready to learn and delve deeper into this very complex topic. Iron metabolism and anemia is such a big topic that Matt and I even struggled to list the different types of anemia at the beginning of this episode. So apologies for that. I probably should have been a little bit more prepared, but I'd love to just do the podcast off the cuff. So there you go. We also discuss things like how the mass fortification of our flour that we make bread and cakes and pastries and all that stuff with has been actually quite damaging for our health and that's to do with the type of iron used in that fortification process. So like I said, so much to learn from this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Great, so I am back with my pal Matt Jarrassy and we are going to talk about iron today um, and probably not what you're expecting, I think, because Traditionally, um, all we hear about is anemia, 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 you know, lack of lack of iron, essentially not having enough. But there is an argument which I'm sure you're going to expand on for us about too much iron and actually how important it is to uh, break that down or, or how it's metabolized and what can happen when we have too much. Um, so. Firstly, hi. Sorry, the whole time. Um so if people haven't listened to my other episode with you, which is on histamine, um, just briefly, Matt is a nutritional therapist as well. He has his own supplement company, which is truly excellent. Um, so do go check that all out. The links are in the show notes. So first things first, Matt. Yes. Let's talk about the the more well-known roles of iron in the body. You know what people typically assume to be iron's main role and and main function, essentially. Yeah, sure. I think I think that's a good place to start with iron. Um, so iron, we we need iron to basically make hemoglobin for our red blood cells, and that is to transport oxygen around the body. That is the primary function of iron. Now, iron is also involved within our our mitochondria, we have these iron, iron, um, iron clusters, which are really important. But generally speaking, the main role of iron is to help us transport oxygen around the body so we can literally survive. It is one of the most fundamental parts of our physiology um, and life as we know it would not be here without it. Mm-hmm. And in terms of anemia, um, there are actually... I want to say about 12 different types of anemia. Yes. I may be getting that number slightly wrong. Um, some of those are autoimmune. Some of them are um, dependent on different, you know, types of iron, different... Essentially, it's very complicated and I would like for you to explain it. Grace, I hope you're not going to test me in all of them because I won't be able to tell you. <laughs> but so there's like heme, you know, there's, there's so like... so many. There's hemolytic anemia and there's there's one where you have moon there's one where you have moon shaped red blood cells i think that's a uh, sickle cell anemia so, sickle cell anemia yeah, and there's that um, there's b12 there's b12 pernicious, anemia 
pernicious anemia. Yeah. So what? Why so many? Like, what's going on? Surely, you know, as you said, like iron has quite a simple role in the body. Well, why does it get so complex when we start having deficiencies? Well, obviously, we have the iron. Dis- we have the red blood cell disorders, which are related to autoimmunity, which can cause uh, poorly shaped red blood cells or destruction of them. Um, but then that's and that's very much a separate issue, um, or rather, a sort of a separate topic. But the primary one that most people will be um, interested in is this idea of iron deficiency anemia, which yeah. uh, we have been led to believe is as a result of low iron. And that idea has been, uh, sadly, as, as uh, stuck around for the best part of uh, 70 years now. And uh, really, it, it couldn't be further from the truth of what is actually happening. And for many years, I was convinced that this was simply a disorder of low and high iron. And that was really all there is to it. But when I really started digging around in the research, you realise that um, iron without copper is just like nobody. It's, or rather, it's chaos. And an analogy I sometimes give is to imagine a football field, right? And you have the linesman and the ref and the manager and all of the players. And imagine the football is oxygen. Mm-hmm. If you took off the manager, the linesman and the ref, what do you think would happen, right? More players would come on. The ball would be moving around. It would be it would be chaos. And mm-hmm. and and this and this is iron without copper. Copper is the one that is regulating what iron is doing at all stages it's so it's so crucial it's it's hard to even it's hard to even sort of put into words how important it is and how overlooked it's been and um and there's some really amazing papers out there like uh, there's one i often recommend which is called um, iron and copper um metabolic crossroads but we've also had some amazing pioneers in this field like morley robbins which some of your listeners might know and he has just really brought into the limelight this this um, intimate relationship. And what you come to realise is that when iron is high and copper is low, iron gets deregulated completely. It just cannot function when there is low copper. And clearly uh, in, in the research, you can see that the body will compensate when iron falls in the body. Um a copper will go up within its tra- within its protein, ceruloplasmin, to try and compensate. Because copper's there to... We can't make heme for hemoglobin without copper. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, it's so important. And um, it's something that's really overlooked uh, in the sort of... Especially in sort of traditional medicine. Yeah. They just look at your... They look at your ferritin and go, your ferritin's low, we're going to give you iron supplements. And... Um, what I think we've failed to realise collectively is that uh, iron is so reactive. It is mm-hmm. so pro-oxidant. It's one of these elements which is, um, it, you, you can like light it with a match and it will go off. And it's involved in so many um, inflammatory disorders. Mm. And, you know, sadly, since the 1940s, when governments in the West started to fortify foods with iron, it has just been a complete disaster for our health. Because even then, even in like the 1950s and and 60s, when we knew about copper's relationship to iron, governments didn't stop doing it. They only did it because they thought that 
it was all to do because premenopausal women were suffering from some iron deficiency anemia and they thought well, let's just give everyone more of it because it's an essential component of of hemoglobin and it's just it's obviously so important mm-hmm. but what they failed to realize is that at this point in time i don't think we really had a full understanding of how efficient the body's recycling center is for iron and it is so efficient that it recycles 95% of your iron every day it is one of the most efficient systems so this is the thing with iron is that iron is regulated by intake not not output right so um once your body uh sort of reaches that threshold of how much iron it needs of which it needs a tiny amount each day that's when iron begins to get stored in all of the wrong places and once it begins getting stored that's where it's going to produce that that inflammatory response um, it can be stored in the kidneys, brain, heart, pancreas, and under and, and there it's going to produce a huge amount of inflammation and it's very much overlooked because when we test iron in the blood, we look at these markers like ferritin, but no, no one's measuring the iron that's in your tissues, right? Mm. Unless someone does a biopsy, um, then we're never going to know. So there's a lot of... Uh, unknowns in the sort of iron world there's a lot of markers which are used to determine whether someone is low or high and it's just not giving not giving you the full picture you need to be looking at multiple markers with iron to really gauge where someone's system is at that was that was probably quite a mouthful there (laughs) no that was really really fascinating so in terms of like diagnosing in a sense which obviously as nutritional therapists we don't do but as a physician in terms of diagnosing someone with one of these many types of anemia it must be a really lengthy complex process then if they are because you know I I typically run bloods on all new clients of mine and I do do like an advanced iron profile and I will look at ferritin I will look at b12 I will look at you know, total iron, total iron binding capacity and all of that. But, um, you know, hands up, I don't check copper. And that's isn't it's not something that I have um, considered enough in its entirety, I don't think. Yeah. And you wouldn't be alone in this. And this is something uh, I wasn't checking for a long time. It was only a few years ago when I really started stumbling into the research where I was like, wow, how did I not learn this even at university? This is like... Mm. This is and it's not it's not hiding in the literature. This is the thing. It's there, but it's just been so um, covered up with all of the iron deficiency anemia thing. And it, it's just a very, a very simple narrative for a very complex truth. And once mm. you realize um, that copper, especially when it's in its uh, its home, which is ceruloplasmin, I know it sounds like a bit of a mouthful, that word. But that protein is regulating iron. It's it's regulating the outgo, the influx. It's regulating how well your body is able to metabolize um, oxygen. You have to think of iron is the one that's helping to transport the oxygen, and then the copper is the one that's allowing you to metabolize it. Um, so, but actually, yeah. Sorry, so I was just going to say, so if I am eating on a regular basis something like liver, which in terms of dietary sources, is really high in copper. Am I 
am I all good? I'm all, I'm all set. I know that I've got good amounts of copper coming in. It's going to regulate iron. Um, even if my, you know, my, my iron bloods come back low, if I'm making sure that like dietary intake of copper is okay. I mean, obviously that there may be other mechanisms at play, right? It's not just going to be what your copper is doing. Yeah. There are, there are sort of other mechanisms, um, other mechanisms that are at play here it's just we have to always place iron in context so remember we have an abundance of iron in our food it is in everything Mm -hmm. governments have fortified pretty much all of their sort of breads and flours of iron yeah it's in uh we have it in heme and non-heme forms in uh in almost all foods you know it's very it's a very abundant mineral so that's the that's the context we must approach iron from this idea that we Mm -hmm. already have enough why can't we use why can't we utilize that iron it's because the copper is not there we we can't we can't use iron without copper so if i have if i'm seeing someone and they come back and their their ferritin is uh low that that's that's not like alarm bells for me i'm you know i'm interested in what their their hemoglobin level is what their tibc is and ultimately the most important marker um is there serum copper and ceruloplasmin because if mm. if i know those if i know that, that that those are where they should be then i know that their iron recycling system can work properly because mm-hmm. you simply cannot recycle iron efficiently unless that unless that copper um is high and the other thing to remember is that once you've got that iron recycling system online that's when your body can start pulling some of that iron from your tissues which has been stuck there mm-hmm. which let's be honest all of us are going to have since the iron fortification program and so um i try to get people um, in the mindset to think we all have enough of it we just we don't have the the sort of tools to be able to utilize it mm-hmm. and you'll and you'll find that um increasing one's copper intake um well the dietary copper intake does very well for people with iron deficiency anemia mm. in quotation marks um they 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 always do better so okay another personal question for you just because this is all really fascinating so i have periods um they are incredibly heavy and i also know that well last time i checked my ferritin was 8 and for for listeners just to clarify because we haven't really clarified what ferritin is it's your it's your stores essentially it's like your body's store of iron um i notice that if i take iron during my period and afterwards i feel a hell of a lot better in terms of my energy levels and you know, is there an argument? I mean, obviously what you've said is that our bodies recycle iron so well that actually we're never going to be deficient. But if you do have insanely heavy periods every month um, as a woman, as a menstruating person, is there an argument there for increasing your your iron intake, whether it's food related or or supplements um, to support that? Well, or in your opinion, no. I would say there's never a place for for really in taking any of this inorganic iron, which has been added to foods or supplemental forms. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with the iron which is present in food, like meat or, or vegetation, 
if I truly wanted to increase someone's iron intake, I would simply get them to have some vitamin C alongside that iron because that's going to increase their intake. Mm -hmm. But um, it's interesting because if one is having um, like heavy periods, or um, then that that might be an indicator that your body is trying to offload some excess iron. Mm -hmm. And just remember that 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 ferritin marker is is not going to it's not a clear indicator of what's happening in your body it's just like one little piece of the body it's just one little piece of the puzzle um and so um i i think i've kind of reached the point now where i kind of feel like there isn't really a place for um increasing one's iron just because i know how efficient that recycling center is now mm-hmm. and i know that if i can get that copper in there and um we did actually mention this on the last podcast we did but um uh, retinol so preformed uh, vitamin A has a has a really intimate relationship with copper in that it helps to put copper into its home which is a uh, ceruloplasmin and actually there's a there's some really interesting papers where um, clinicians have actually uh, dramatically improved um, anemia just with vitamin A nothing else mm. no iron no copper just with vitamin A um, and uh, we also need vitamin A for erythropoiesis, right? So the, for the for the making of new of new red blood cells. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of these things, it's it, there's just it. I think a very this this very sort of simple narrative has been given to iron, and once you start reading around this area a little bit, you realise that there's all these other components which play such a key role. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I would say in your case, um, I'd be really upping your liver intake potentially. I don't know how much you eat per week or what type of liver because there's different ones. Interesting. I have chicken liver a few times a week easily. Okay. I literally just had some for lunch. I would try. And, um, I try and work on um, what you want. Is beef liver is going to be best because it's got way more copper. But does it taste as good? No, pate. no, it doesn't. That's the thing. That's, let's be honest. I, I, even I, I really struggle with eating liver. But since I've been uh, like learning a lot more about it, I've really tried mm. to increase my intake. Um, the freeze dry for for listeners who are just thinking, I just cannot stomach yeah. this. And actually, most of my client population who I ask to eat organ meats, they they can't. So I do recommend um, the freeze dried liver capsules yeah, that they you can, can be get. Good. Yeah. Um, and you can, yeah, so that that is a way of doing it. So just on this piece about, you know, liver and, and vitamin A. So vitamin A, the active form is retinol. Um, and you can only get that from animal foods. It's just it's just non-existent on a plant based diet. So when you're working with someone who is a plant based eater or vegan, are you more worried about an issue with with iron with copper yeah because they they are not they simply won't get retinol in their diet they'll get beta carotene from pumpkins and sweet potatoes but uh not everyone can convert beta carotene into the active form of vitamin a which is retinol yeah and this is and and this is one of the challenges isn't it it's you work with people who for for various reasons will what like want to eat a plant-based diet and um you know, I'm never in a position where I'm going to say, look, 
you you have to eat that beef liver um mm. but i i try and just explain to people the biology of it and the the sort of physiology of their system because the body just has these very specific requirements and the game has been changed since governments introduced iron fortification there's a major problem we are facing as humanity it is contributing to massive amounts of health problems mm. and so iron's shot up but copper hasn't gone anywhere right so we need we we need to be doing some major compensation now cuz cuz iron is just getting out of hand and so it can be a really tough one and and sometimes some people might say well look i can eat i can i can still eat predominantly plant based but i'm willing to have maybe some desiccated like capsules um or maybe they will have some cod liver oil for their vitamin a a little bit mm-hmm. and it's just about finding a middle ground now you can get sort of vegetarian sources of copper um like uh as we mentioned like shiitake mushrooms and in like various berries and things like that but um it just doesn't come close to the sort of bioavailability you're going to get from animal foods and mm-hmm. as you said many uh the conversion of um pro vitamin a to pre vitamin a can be anywhere between 1% and i don't know 50 or 60% mm-hmm. and um interestingly enough that enzyme that actually converts it is a uh, copper dependent sadly oh wow okay so it's a bit of a double whammy i remember learning when i was at school i don't know why this has sprung to mind but you know when we used to not not us specifically but um in the olden days they we had cooking pots made of copper, copper-bottomed cookware. And obviously when you then cook in a copper pot, you do get some transfer of that copper into the food that you're consuming. And I feel like at some stage there was there was like a sickness because people were were having way too much copper. Well, is that is that a danger? Like can you have too much? Well, I think, again, I think the context is really important and any any sort of metal, whether that's iron or copper, can be pro-oxidant or damaging if it's in the wrong context. Yeah. Again, let's say I'm having lots of inorganic copper, not of not a very biological form, mm-hmm. and I'm also having no vitamin A, mm-hmm. right? So that's a recipe for being, um, a copper being deregulated. So yes, uh, as with any of these things, copper can be can be toxic if used in the wrong circumstances. Um, mm-hmm. But there's lots of interesting sort of stories about copper in the past. Like, for example, um, during the sort of cholera outbreak, the only people that didn't get sick were the copper miners. Really? Um, because it's... Yeah, this is a known fact. They literally didn't... They didn't. They just didn't get ill. And that's because copper is, is such a um, sort of antimicrobial... Um, element interesting you should have you should have a read about it it's really fascinating uh uh this is just making me think of poldark because we've just finished watching poldark and they are cornish miners that mine for copper yeah but most of the time found tin but then when they did find copper it was very exciting yeah copper's uh just one of the and i i think we've all been a bit swindled by the internet saying copper's causing alzheimer's it's causing dementia and it's like we need we need to come back to this context. We live in a world which is being essentially poisoned by governments fortifying our foods with iron, 
And the only way we're going to get iron regulated is if copper is firing on all cylinders. Mm. Because um, people massively underestimate how how damaging iron can be like so let's go into that you know what what would that look like well i don't want to i don't want to sound like uh an an alarmist but like don't scare people too much i don't want to scare people but i do want to say that uh that introduction of uh inorganic iron to our food system has without a doubt contributed in some part to millions of deaths Mm -hmm. and i and I, i don't say that lightly i just mean that um iron uh because of iron's ability to generate inflammation and free radicals, it is pro-oxidant when it is deregulated. Mm-hmm. Um, this So inflammation contributes to, to almost all pathologies, right? Um, yeah. So iron plays a role in exacerbating many of the diseases we face. And, uh, and often people talk about sugar and cancer, right? But... Mm-hmm. You take a cancer tumour and it will increase the number of transferrin receptors on its surface, right? So that means... You need to explain, sorry, just you need to explain to the listeners what that is. Yeah, so transferrin, that's our transport protein for um, for iron, right? So yeah. the tumour, the cancer tumour hoovers up all of the iron because it loves it, because it, it wants to get into anaerobic metabolism. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, in this sense, it... What um what cancer will actually do is it will it will actually leave the surrounding tissue anemic because it's hoovered up so much iron. Wow. So I can tell you now, can, there's nothing more cancer loves than to get its teeth on a big juicy bit of inorganic iron. So inorganic. Okay. Yeah. So what are we what are we thinking with regards to dietary iron? You're not as worried about red meat, eating no. steak, all of that. Yeah. The, the I think the. The important thing for your listeners to to realise is that today they should absolutely start looking on the back of their packets of foods and if they see iron on there, they need to put that back on the shelf straight away. Right. Because So and that is all that is all breads because yeah. you know, any flour, even if it's um good quality, organic, whole grain, yeah. you know, spelt, whatever, they're all fortified. So that rules out a hell of a lot of oh, yeah. food products yeah. I mean, it, it, they have to fortify it by law. And the thing is, you can do like a science experiment with like cereal. I, I had tons of fortified cereal when I was younger. If you if you get a bowl of something, I don't know, like shreddies, I think they're fortified, and you blended them up, right, in a blender and got a magnet, mm-hmm. you, you could actually see the iron filings. It, it's iron filings. It's actually, what? it's disturbing. I'm telling no, you. No, I'm going to do this. You couldn't make this. You honestly couldn't make this stuff up. It is It is insanity. It, we're not talking about this really nice biological form of iron that our body recognises. We're talking about iron filings here. It is. So this is quite sad. So this means that sourdough is off the menu. Well, um, some breads aren't. You just have to look because they have to state it on the ingredients. And I've bought, there's a, there's a baker close to me and it's just the just the three ingredients there's no no other bits in there yeah okay but uh, yeah so basically to sum up um <laughs> to sum up what has been an absolute <laughs> bombshell i know it's been a lot in this podcast and also actually just quickly i know you're very pro giving blood yes um and that is because you're it, it's a detox yeah because 
like I said, iron, iron regulation is regulated by intake. There is no efficient way for the body to offload iron unless you're a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, Yay for periods. Yes. This, I, I honestly feel this is why women live longer than men. This is one of the reasons. Um, really? So, so as a man, do you, instead of a, a monthly, a week of absolute hell every month where everything hurts and the world is a horrible place and you're bleeding, you go off to the blood bank and um, give blood every month. Yes. And and I know donating blood is a, is a is a sort of hard one for many people. Many people have problems with needles. Um, you can hire private phlebotomy, uh, phlebotomists. I think I'm saying that correctly. Yeah, um, phlebotomists. I, I actually um, arranged one for my dad this morning. Right. Um, and they just... They just come round and you can decide how much blood you'd like taken and it's like you can do it in the comfort of your own home. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be something to consider. But yeah, I'm a big fan of donating blood because when you donate blood, that's how you're going to force your body to mobilise any of that iron which has been stuck in your tissues, right? It's the, it's the only way. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said at the start, all of us will will have been accumulating um, a fair amount over time mm. because of the um, people who are in charge of our food system. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this has been very interesting. And I think if, how do we kind of come to some conclusion for people listening that's not like scary yeah. or telling them to just like literally not eat any of the food that they usually <laughs> would eat yeah um I, I think i think there's some i think there's some really like simple tips here that we can that we can take away one is that we don't need to be consuming any more of that iron that's been added to our foods it's not a biological form not, yeah just get your iron yeah. from actual real yeah. food like yeah. you, vegetables yeah. and animal products yeah. etc and and just remember that your body has a very very efficient recycling system for iron Mm -hmm. and the other thing is to try and try and increase your dietary copper try and start incorporating a bit more um liver into your diet organ meat yeah organ meat because it's it's quite it's quite easy to upset that balance right if you are eating say a lot of muscle meats and Mm -hmm. eggs and Mm -hmm. nuts and seeds well you're going to get a lot of zinc and so you may you're going to upset your balance there um Again, lots of people taking zinc for um, for COVID. Um, that's only going to exacerbate this problem. It's just not. It's not going to make things easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you have to be really careful with that because I've seen some really large doses going around, something like one to two hundred milligrams a day. It's just wow. You know that that's going to just throw your zinc copper yo yo into yeah. disarray. Which again, that's going to lead to inflammation from iron. So, uh, yeah, so cut it. What, yeah. What if people, Matt, quickly, sorry, what if having listened to this, I think I really want to know what my copper levels are. How do people, how, how would just, you know, your average um, person go about finding that out? Well, and, and this is where, and this is where it can get difficult um, because getting uh, serum copper, uh, or rather serum copper isn't that isn't that hard to get i don't think generally but the ceruloplasma measurement is is actually quite fiddly um but i recommend if people want to understand this relationship a bit more then first place to go to is the man who really put uh, this who brought this idea into the limelight so that would be morley robbins mm-hmm. um he's got a page um his main platform is the root cause protocol um some of your listeners 
may have come across that already. Uh, and he will he really explains things um, in quite kind of understandable terms. Mm-hmm. And that can be a great place just to sort of learn about this this really intimate and important relationship. Mm-hmm. I think I think getting tests done without having someone there to sort of look at it with you could end, could end up making you maybe interpret things wrong. So I wouldn't say go off and quickly go and get all these tests done. But um, it could be certainly something to look into with a sort of practitioner for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. And any final words of wisdom on this? Um, just that I think we should all, I think we should all just take the government to court for messing around with our health, really. <laughs> what can we say? <laughs> They've done a shambles of a job. Oh dear. Okay. Um, let's leave it there. Any questions relating to this? Uh, Matt is on Instagram at Matt Jarrisey, um, and he's got loads of resources and, and information on his page and via his website. So join the discussion, I guess. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much, Matt. This has been absolutely fascinating. Uh, it's been good. Nice to do round two. Thank you so much again for tuning in to State of Mind. Next week's episode will be on the vaginal microbiome and it's fascinating. So do stay tuned for that one. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with your friends. Put it on your Insta stories. Leave a review on the podcast app. It all helps. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.